Welcome to The Dyad Presents, a video game music podcast. I'm The Dyad, and this is Harakiri. brief time of the show piece of business that I wanted to mention. Although I tweeted about this sometime, I guess it must have been last week, I wanted to specifically mention it on the show too. Uh, For those of you who are fans of the VGM Jukebox, um, and uh, I guess if you're a Patreon subscriber, you know this already, but I appeared as a, in their unboxing feature. So if you're a fan of their show, you should consider donating and um, subscribing to their Patreon where you can unlock these Haju's Room special episodes and if you need some extra incentive you can hear some more of me. The track bringing us in this week is called Opening from the game Harakiri for the PC-88 composed by Meccano Associates. Um, Meccano Associates was the former sound team that did all the sound design and music for the Japanese game developer Game Arts. They also did a little bit of work for the company UPL, but um, nothing really, no real standout titles. Meccano Associates is like, I think it's something like 10 or 12 composers have rotated it through, but there's really no way that you're going to pinpoint who worked on this soundtrack. The game itself has almost no internet presence and it's really just a little bit too 
It is really you just have to guess to figure it out. So I'm just going to leave it at Meccano Associates. As I mentioned, the company that worked on the game is called Game Arts, and they both developed and published this title, releasing it in 1990. There's really almost no information available out there, and that's probably because of the SEO on the name Harakiri. Um, I'll get into that a little bit more, but there was a magical Japanese GeoCities page about the game. Unfortunately, Google Translate wasn't really able to cooperate with me and I couldn't get it into English and there's just too much kanji for me to be able to parse out with my extremely middling Japanese abilities. From what I was able to tell from just like watching YouTube videos is it seems like it's kind of a military strategy game and uh, it is set in kind of the Shogun period, which makes sense considering the name and subject matter of the game is Harakiri. Harakiri is seppuku, which is probably the term that maybe more people will be familiar with. It's the Japanese ritualistic suicide by disembowelment, or cutting open your tum-tum. As for the difference in the two pronunciations, um, as much as I don't like to rely on Wikipedia, there was a nice quote that came from a book, so I feel okay reading through it. It is commonly pointed out that Harakiri is a vulgarism, but this is a misunderstanding. Harakiri is a Japanese reading or kunyomi of the characters. As it became customary to prefer Chinese readings in official announcements, only the term seppuku was ever used in writing. So Harakiri is a spoken term, but only to commoners, and seppuku is a written term, but spoken amongst higher classes for the same act. I could probably have pared that down a little bit, but it uh, kind of gets the gist of it. It's ended up being sort of a class difference. As for seppuku itself, uh, there are generally two types. There is the obligatory and voluntary. Obligatory is a method of capital punishment that was generally used by samurai to spare them the disgrace of being beheaded by a common executioner. Uh, the practice was prevalent starting in the 15th century all the way up until 1873 when it was finally abolished. I should also mention, since I don't think I specifically said it yet, that this was a practice of samurai. And I read a little bit about it because I was wondering how much of it is just fictionalized in pop culture and how much of it was historically accurate. But it seems like the samurai were super hardcore and this is something that they actually did pretty regularly. It was something like to do it properly and as um, you know as accurately as possible was a way of demonstrating your extreme discipline even through this anguishing pain as your guts were dangling out. Anyway, as for obligatory seppuku, it's kind of like a cheat. As soon as the person who is committing it stabbed themselves in the stomach, there would be a person behind them who would slice off their head. Um, I think the idea was that just by the act of you going for the knife and attempting to stab yourself, you had done enough to prove yourself and um, you were you know, allowed to have your head chopped off by someone else. I also read that it was somewhat common to uh, decapitate the victim, I guess. I don't know. Can you be a victim if you're participating? Uh, it was, anyway, it was 
Common practice to cut off his head as soon as he even reached for the sword that he was going to stab himself with, because that was enough of a gesture to symbolize that the death was by seppuku. As for historical stories, the most famous is of 47 Ronin, which comes from the early 18th century. Now famous in Japanese history, it involves a bunch of samurai who were made masterless, which is what a ronin is. It's masterless samurai, I'm sure almost all of you knew that. After their lord was murdered by uh, treachery, I guess is the word that I saw most frequently when I was looking at synopses, they avenged his death by assassinating the person that they held responsible. Afterward, the shogun ordered all the participating samurai to commit seppuku and supposedly they did. And the story became the basis for a bunch of other enduring dramas and things like that. But you don't need to go that far back in time. Just like turning my mind to mush, there is a famous case from 1970 of Yukio Mishima, who was a renowned novelist and a Nobel Prize nominee who committed ritual seppuku after he led a failed coup against the Japanese government. Some of the retellings out there got pretty grisly, um, like, for instance, talking about how many blade strokes it took to behead him after he had committed the seppuku. Well, now that we've got that pleasantness out of the way, let's move on to our next track. From the game Almong Jolmong Paradise, appearing on IBM PCs, Composed by DAC or Myung Jin An and Sung Hwan Ro, this is the ending track. talked a little bit about DAC in episode 26, Link Travel Agency, so I'm not going to really revisit it too much right now. Um, they are a Korean sound team. And again, Korean game development companies are not super common, at least not at the time that this game was popular. 
As for the game itself, it is a Space Harrier clone, uh, an arcade 3D shooter, but it allows you to play as various characters from the family production line of games. Family production being the company that developed the game. Essentially, it's a crossover game. There's a total of eight characters coming from four different games. The first are two ships from the game Illusion Blaze, which was the game that I played from last time. Two mechs from the game Ironblood, two animal heroes from P and Giddy, and Shaki and his wife from Shaki the Wolf. The characters all have their own different weapons and abilities, and there's some unique attacks and ways to use the characters, so there is some diversity and, um, you know, meaning behind the choices. It's not purely cosmetic. The other thing I should mention is the reason that the characters are paired up is because this actually has one or two player co-op modes. I think that is, I think that's unique for Space Harrier type games. I, I can't think of another example of one that does so right now. Um, I'm not a super huge Space Harrier clone buff, but uh, you know, nothing comes to mind. Anyway, that's pretty much all I got for this one. The first two games I played from today don't really have much of an internet footprint. Next up, we'll move to Shinnekatsu Koha Kunio Tachi no Banka. From the Super Nintendo, or more appropriately, the Super Famicom, composed by maybe Hitoshi or possibly Kazunaka Yamane, this is Unused Song 1. For a more complete rundown on Kunio-kun and his franchise, go back and check out episode 27, Sing Sing Sing. Shin Neketsu Koha Kunio Tachi no Banka, or The New Hot-Blooded Tough Guy, The Eulogy of Kunio and Company, is a side-scrolling beat-em-up released by Technos Japan exclusively for the Super Famicom. Debuting in 1994, it's the fourth game in the Kunio-kun series as it was released for the Super Famicom. It was developed by Almanic. It's a supposed prequel to Downtown Neketsu Monogatari, or better known as River City Ransom. 
As I mentioned, this game is different from all the others in that it was not developed by Technos Japan, but rather by Almanic. From what I read, there was a significant overlap in the personnel of the two companies, but there was still a resulting uh, difference in approach to the Kunio-kun franchise. The game was produced by Noriyuki Tomiyama, who worked on the arcade version of Super Dodgeball and the Kama Tribes, and it was directed by Yoshihisa Kishimoto, who was the creator of Kunio-kun and Double Dragon. As for the soundtrack, I read more frequently that Kazunaka Yamane was the composer, but I also saw in a couple places that it was Hitoshi Yamane. It's not clear if there's a relationship between the two of them or possibly even just a pseudonym. I did see far more places listed as Kazunaka, so I guess we're going to go with him, especially since he is the famous composer and I don't really think there's anything else to Hitoshi's credit. The other thing of note from this game is a lot of the assets and engine were reused on future titles. And actually some stuff was thrown in here that fell out of the return of Double Dragon. They cranked out these Kunio-kun games, so it's not that surprising to me that they had a bit of a template to work off of. Anyway, I'm not as big of a fan of the Super Nintendo Kunio-kun games because it ditches the super deformed look of the NES classic. Uh, it still has this weird cartoony head, but it's, it's like the head and hands are really big. The body's really slender. It's kind of like a, I don't know, like an anime stick figure. I just like the squat chubby dudes better. Moving on is a double feature. It comes from maybe my favorite Game Boy composer, Alberto Jose Gonzalez. He has just, I don't know, I think he has a magic touch with the Game Boy. And these particular tracks come from something else that he has a lot of experience with. Weirdo European license games. From the game Spiru, first the track Metro, followed by the track Mountain.
was a platformer developed and published by Infogram during 1995 and 1996, depending on the platform. The game was released for the Mega Drive, the Super Nintendo, and the Game Boy. There was also a later version for Windows and DOS. And while there's a leaked version of the prototype online, a never-released Game Gear game was planned and eventually scrapped. The game is based on, and prepare for just a bunch of mispronunciations, Spiro et Fantasio, a comic book series. It's one of the most popular classic Franco-Belgian comics around. So I guess not only does McAlby get stuck with weird European titles, but specifically Franco-Belgian ones. His Tintin and Smurfs works are A+, and as you can hear from these two tracks, his Spiro work is also great. I think it's a really interesting niche that Alberto Jose Gonzalez found himself in, and I wonder if... I wonder if there was some intention behind it, or if that's just how it worked out. The comic book series has been running since 1938, and it shares a lot of the same characteristics with a bunch of other European comics like Tintin, as I mentioned, and Asterix. God, can't believe I forgot that one. The main characters in the comic book adventures are two adventurous journalists who run into adventures. They're aided by their pet squirrel and a friend who is an inventor. The game itself is based on the comic book series and it features the adventure of Spiru trying to save his kidnapped friend. The disproportionate kidnapping rates in video games is truly remarkable. Apparently the graphics in the game were noted to be particularly good, but the gameplay itself was really really hard so didn't really garner any new fans outside of those who are diehard comic fans. Also, I'm doubting that the graphical prowess translated well to the Game Boy. The comic strip was originally created by Rob Vell for the launch of Le Journal de Spirou, or Spirou magazine, on April 21st, 1938. Before graduating from journalism school, the main character was a bellhop and or elevator operator. Even after the bellhop gimmick was dropped, he was still drawn wearing the uniform. The name itself means squirrel, literally translated, and figuratively means mischievous. Personally, I've never even heard of this franchise. A lot of these comic book series, I have some sort of tangential awareness, if not just the most minuscule of experiences with. But for the first time in going through one of these games, I got nothing. I will encourage you all to go and visit the full soundtrack. Um, pretty much all of the tracks are uh, they're in his signature style and they're all really great. It was a hard time picking. Well, obviously I didn't just pick just one, so I must have liked the soundtrack a little bit. But that's going to do it for this week. Before I go, as always, special thanks to Alan Euler, aka Periodical, for mixing and editing the show. You can follow the show at thediadpresents.blogspot.com where I also post the track list for the show. You can subscribe via your favorite podcatcher and don't forget to rate the show on iTunes. You can follow me on Twitter at The Dyad and you can email me at thediadpresents at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page you can find by searching the name of the podcast or by at The Dyad. Until next time, from the game Vixen 357, for the Sega Genesis, composed by Opus Studio Inc., credited as Goblin Sound. This is the staff roll.